2: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod, or text WonderyPod to
0: 500-500. This is an industry that's, that's out of control. If they don't follow the law in drug supply, people die. That's just
3: it. People die. Joe Ranassisi ran the Office of Diversion Control at the DEA, and tonight... In a joint 60 Minutes Washington Post investigation, this high-ranking whistleblower says the opioid epidemic spread because Congress was influenced by the drug industry and Washington lobbyists. You know the implication of what you're saying, that these big companies knew that they were pumping drugs into American communities that were killing people. That's not an
0: implication, that's a fact.
2: This is the 75th year of The Hunger Games.
0: Donald Sutherland has
1: been described as one of the greatest actors never to have been nominated for an Oscar.
0: Always with the negative wave.
1: He's been in more than 150 movies and TV shows, but still agonizes over each character he plays and is still plagued by self-consciousness about how he looks. It's not easy, Anderson.
3: It's not easy to know that you're... An ugly man in a business like I'm in.
1: I'm Steve Croft. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Scott Pelly. I'm Anderson Cooper.
3: I'm Bill Whitaker. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes.
4: What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time, and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 World's Most Ethical Companies by the Ethisphere Institute the freedom to go after whatever is next for you, that's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love or visit www.pacificlife.com.
3: In the midst of the worst drug epidemic in American history, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration's ability to keep addictive opioids off U.S. streets was derailed. That, according to Joe Ranassisi, one of the most important whistleblowers ever interviewed by 60 Minutes. Ranassisi ran the DEA's Office of Diversion Control, the division that regulates and investigates the pharmaceutical industry. As we first reported last October in a joint investigation by 60 Minutes and The Washington Post, Ranassisi tells the inside story of how he says the opioid crisis was allowed to spread, aided by Congress, lobbyists, and a drug distribution industry that shipped almost unchecked hundreds of millions of pills to rogue pharmacies and pain clinics, providing the rocket fuel for a crisis that over the last two decades has claimed more than 200,000 lives. This is an industry that's
0: that's out of control. What they want to do is do what they want to do and not worry about what the law is. And if they don't follow the law in drug supply, people die. That's just it. People
3: die. Joe Ranacisi is a tough, blunt former DEA Deputy Assistant Administrator with a law degree, a pharmacy degree, and a smoldering rage at the unrelenting death toll from opioids. His greatest ire is reserved for the distributors, some of them multi-billion-dollar Fortune 500 companies. They are the middlemen that ship the pain pills from manufacturers like Purdue Pharma and Johnson & Johnson to drugstores all over the country. Renestesi accuses the distributors of fueling the opioid epidemic by turning a blind eye to pain pills being diverted to illicit use. This is an
0: industry that allowed millions and millions of drugs to go into bad pharmacies and doctor's offices that distributed them out to to people who had no legitimate need for those drugs. Who are these distributors? The three largest distributors are Cardinal Health, McKesson, and Amerisource Bergen. They control probably 85 or 90 percent of the drugs going downstream.
3: You know the implication of what you're saying, that these big companies knew that they were pumping drugs into American communities that were killing people. That's not an implication. That's a fact. That's exactly what they did. In the late 1990s, opioids like oxycodone and hydrocodone became a routine medical treatment for chronic pain. Drug companies assured doctors and congressional investigators, as in this 2001 hearing, that the pain medications were effective and safe. Addiction is not common. Addiction is rare in the the pain patient who's properly managed. With many doctors convinced the drugs posed few risks, prescriptions skyrocketed, and so did addiction. Many people who had become addicted to painkillers turned to shady pill mills, pain clinics with rogue doctors to write fraudulent prescriptions, and complicit pharmacists to fill them. One stop shopping for controlled narcotics. Pain clinics
0: overnight popping up off an entrance ramp or an exit ramp on an interstate, and all of a sudden there's a pain clinic there.
3: Had you ever seen anything like that before? Never.
0: In fact it was my opinion that this made the whole crack epidemic look like nothing these weren't kids slinging crack on the corner these were professionals who were doing it they were just drug dealers in lab coats
3: you know what a chilling picture that paints i do because i
0: watched them get arrested and i was the one who approved the cases
3: despite arrests of unscrupulous purveyors opioids kept flooding the black market. The death toll kept rising. This map shows the U.S. death rate from drug overdose in 1999. By 2015, the map looked like this. Most of these deaths were opioid related. Joe Ranassisi told us prosecuting crooked doctors and pharmacists wasn't stemming the epidemic. So he decided to move up the food chain.
0: There had to be a choke point, and the choke point was the distributors. What took you so long to go to that choke point of the distributors? This was all new to us. We weren't seeing just some security violations and a few bad orders. We were seeing hundreds of bad orders that involved millions and millions of tablets. That's when we started going after the distributors.
3: A distributors representative told us the problem is not distributors, but doctors who over-prescribe pain medication. But the distributors know exactly how many pills go to every drugstore they supply, and they are required under the Controlled Substances Act to report and stop what the DEA calls suspicious orders, such as unusually large or frequent shipments of opioids. But DEA
5: investigators say many distributors ignored that requirement. They had a business plan. Their plan was to sell a lot of pills and make a lot of money. And they did both of those very well. Jim
3: Geldoff, a 40-year DEA veteran, ran pharmaceutical investigations from DEA's Detroit field office. Frank Yonker supervised the agency's operations in Cincinnati. Joe Renacisi was their supervisor. They saw distributors shipping thousands of suspicious orders. One example, a pharmacy in Kermit, West Virginia, a town of just 392 people, ordered 9 million hydrocodone pills over
5: two years. All we were looking for is a good faith effort by these companies to do the right thing. And there was no good faith effort. Greed always trumped compliance. It did every time. But don't sit here and tell me, well, we're not sure what a suspicious order is. Really? I mean, this pharmacy just bought 50 times the amount that a normal pharmacy purchases, and they're in a town of 5,000 people. You don't know that that's suspicious? I mean, at some point, you're just turning a blind eye to it. These companies are a big reason for this epidemic. Yeah, absolutely they are. And I can tell you with 100% accuracy that we were in there on multiple occasions trying to get them to change their behavior, and they just flat out ignored us. In 2008, the DEA
3: slapped McKesson, the country's largest drug distributor, with a $13.2 million fine. That same year, Cardinal Health paid a $34 million fine. Both companies were penalized by the DEA for filling hundreds of suspicious orders, millions of pills. Over the last seven years, distributors' fines have totaled more than $341 million. The companies cried foul and complained to Congress that DEA regulations were vague and the agency was treating them like a foreign drug cartel. In a letter, the Healthcare Distribution Alliance, which represents distributors, told us they wanted to work with the DEA. Effective enforcement, they wrote, must be a two-way street. Frank you said you were tough but fair The industry says you guys were unfair that you were taking unfair hits at them
0: so oh, that's the people who lost their sons and daughters see how fair they think it is
3: in 2011 more than 17,000 Americans died from opioid prescription overdoses That same year, Cardinal Health, the second-largest distributor, started pushing back at Joe Renacisi. The company's attorneys went over his head and called his bosses at the Justice Department, who called in Ranassisi to have him explain his tactics. It infuriated me that I was over there trying to explain what
0: my motives were or why I was going after these corporations. And when I went back to the office and I sat down with my staff, I basically said, you know... I just got question on why we're doing, why we're doing what we're doing. This is, this is, this is now, this is
3: war. We're going after these people and we're not going to stop. Do you really think you were getting this pushback because you were going after big companies, Fortune 500 companies? I have no doubt in my mind.
0: So the question is, why would it be any different? for these companies as compared to the small mom-and-pops that we had done hundreds of times before. What's the difference? The difference is, is they have a lot of money and a lot of influence. And that's the difference.
3: Renosisi says the drug industry used that money and influence to pressure top lawyers at the DEA to take a softer approach. Former DEA attorney Jonathan Novak said it divided the litigation office. He said in 2013 he noticed a sea change in the way prosecutions of big distributors were handled. Cases his supervisors once would have easily approved now weren't good enough. We had been
6: achieving incredible success in an almost unstoppable wave and then suddenly,
3: it stopped. Novak prosecuted cases brought to him by Joe Renacisi's investigators. He said his caseload started to slow down dramatically.
6: These were not cases where it was black, where it was gray. These were cases where the evidence was crystal clear that there was wrongdoing going on.
3: He said his bosses started to bog down the system, demanding ever more evidence. But now,
6: three undercovers by four officers over three months, that wouldn't be enough. Maybe we need an expert to explain how recording equipment works. Maybe we need an expert to explain uh, the system for prescribing. What's a prescription? It, 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 felt, it felt honestly confusing and almost insane.
3: Where, where was this coming from? Jim Geldoff says his investigations were getting bogged down, too. He was looking into one mid-sized distributor that had shipped more than 28 million pain pills to pharmacies in West Virginia over five years. About 11 million of those pills wound up in Mingo County, population 25,000. Suddenly, he said, he
5: ran into roadblocks from one of attorney Jonathan Novak's bosses. I spend a year working on this case, I send it down there, and it's never good enough. Every time I talk to this guy wants something else, and I get it for him, and that's still not good enough. You know, and this goes on and on and on. And when this, these robots get bit thrown up in your face, at that point you know they just don't want the case. But
3: this is the DEA. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, you would think. The DEA's toughest sanction is to freeze distributors' shipments of narcotics a step which they have only attempted once in more than two years.
6: I mean, there's no denying the numbers. At the height of the opioid epidemic, inexplicably, they slowed down.
3: He said one big reason for the slowdown, D.C.'s notorious revolving door. Novak said he saw a parade of DEA lawyers switch sides and jump to high-paying jobs defending the drug industry. Once they'd made the leap, they lobbied their former colleagues, Novak's bosses, and argued the DEA's cases were weak and ultimately would lose in court. It had a chilling effect on DEA litigators.
6: Some of the, the best and brightest former DEA attorneys are now on the other side and know all of the, the, the weak points. Their fingerprints are on memos and policy and 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 emails going out where you see this concoction of what they might argue in the future
3: you and the other attorneys had been winning these cases all of the time the Justice Department is the agency that oversees the DEA a senior attorney at the department at the time told us in a statement Department of Justice leadership was not advised that DEA had changed enforcement strategies any significant policy shift should have been brought to our attention there was a lot of pills a lot of people dying
0: and and we had tools in our toolbox to try to use and stem that flow but it seemed down in headquarters
3: that that toolbox was shut off you're watching an out-of-control epidemic and yet you both feel that at the height of this epidemic your, your your hands were being tied Yeah. If it's a war on drugs, then treat it like a war. The addiction rate was still
0: increasing. The amount of people seeking treatment was still increasing. It was all increasing. Still, the amount of prescriptions were increasing. And we started slowing down.
3: As cases nearly ground to a halt at DEA, the drug industry began lobbying Congress for legislation that would destroy DEA's enforcement powers. In 2013, Joe Renacisi and his DEA investigators were trying to crack down on big drug distributors that ship drugs to pharmacies across the country. He accused them of turning a blind eye as millions of prescription pain pills ended up on the black market. Then, a new threat surfaced on Capitol Hill. With the help of members of Congress, the drug industry began to quietly pave the way for legislation that essentially would strip the DEA of its most potent tool in fighting the spread of dangerous narcotics. If I was going to write a book about how to
0: harm the uh, the United States with pharmaceuticals, the only thing I could think of that would immediately harm is to take the authority away from the the investigative agency that is trying to enforce the Controlled Substances Act
3: and and the regulations implemented under the act. And that's what this bill did. The bill, introduced in the House by Pennsylvania Congressman Tom Marino and Congresswoman Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, was promoted as a way to ensure that patients had access to the pain medication they needed. Jonathan Novak, who worked in the DEA's legal office, says what the bill really did was strip the agency of its ability to immediately freeze suspicious shipments of prescription narcotics to keep drugs off U.S. streets, what the DEA calls diversion.
6: You're not going to be able to hold anyone higher up the food chain accountable. Because of this law? Because of this law.
3: How hard does it make your job in going after the wholesale distributors?
6: I I would say it makes it nearly impossible.
3: This 2015 Justice Department memo we obtained supports that. It states the bill could actually result in increased diversion, abuse, and public health and safety consequences.
6: They're toothless. I don't, I don't know how they stop this now. It's a very sad state of affairs.
3: Who drafted the legislation that would have such a dire effect? The answer came in another internal Justice Department email released to 60 Minutes and the Washington Post under the Freedom of Information Act. Quote, Lyndon Barber used to work for the DEA. He wrote the Marino bill.
5: Hi, my name's Lyndon Barber. I'm the director of the DEA litigation and compliance practice in Corals and Brady's health law group.
3: Barber went through the revolving door. He left his job as associate chief counsel of the DEA and within a month joined a law firm where he lobbied Congress on behalf of drug companies and wrote legislation he advertised what he could offer a client facing DEA scrutiny.
5: If you have a DEA compliance issue or you're facing a government investigation or you're uh, having administrative or civil litigation involving the Controlled Substances Act, I'd be happy to hear from you.
6: It's not surprising that this, this bill that has intimate knowledge of the way that DEA you know, regulations are enforced, the way that those laws work, uh, was written by someone who spent a lot of time there. Charged a lot of cases there. Knew the workings. Very much so.
3: Eric Holder was the attorney general at the time. He warned the new law would undermine law enforcement efforts to prevent communities and families from falling prey to dangerous drugs. The major drug companies, distributors, chain drug stores, and pharmaceutical manufacturers mobilized, too. According to federal filings, During the two years the legislation was considered and amended, they spent $106 million lobbying Congress on the bill and other legislation, claiming the DEA was out of control, making it harder for patients to get needed medication. A particular thorn for the drug industry and the bill's sponsors was Joe Renacisi. He had been a witness before Congress more than 30 times and was called on again to testify about this bill.
0: 16,651 people in 2010 died of, of opiate overdose, okay? Opiate-associated overdose. This is not a game. We're not playing a game.
3: Nobody here. is saying it is a game, sir. We're just trying to craft some legislation. Let me ask... Renicisi, who admits to having a temper, felt so strongly about the damage the bill could do, he lashed out at Marino's committee staffers. It is
0: my understanding that Joe Ranazzisi... A senior DEA official has publicly accused we sponsors of the bill of, quote, supporting criminals, unquote. This offends me immensely.
3: Congressman Marino from Pennsylvania uh, said that you accused him
0: of helping criminals. I've never accused Congressman Marino of helping criminals. I said that this bill is going to protect defendants that we have under investigation. And if Congressman Marino thinks I accused him of something, I don't know
3: what to tell you. But a week after the hearing on legislation that would hobble the DEA's enforcement authority, Marino and Blackburn wrote the inspector general for the Justice Department, demanding that Renazzisi be investigated for trying to, quote, intimidate the United States Congress.
5: There were people in industry that didn't care much for Joe Renazzisi, wanted him silenced or wanted him out of the way, basically unceremoniously kick him to the curb. After almost
3: 30 years with the DEA, Matt Murphy, Renazzisi's lieutenant, Became a consultant for the drug industry, an industry with which he is now disillusioned. He said he was shocked at the animosity he witnessed toward his friend and former boss.
5: My theory is that, you know, the industry, through lobbying groups, donated uh, a certain amount of money to politicians to get a law passed that, that favored the industry and also. Maybe may using those political ties to, to have Joe removed. Congress launched an investigation of him. Right. And he was out. Yeah, pressure was put on for him to be moved out. I, I'm pretty confident of that. There was no reason to take the guy who was the most qualified person in DEA to run the Office of Diversion Control out of the Office of Diversion C- Control. The investigation
3: requested by Congressman Marino against Renacisi went nowhere. But soon after, Renacisi was stripped of his responsibilities. He says he went from supervising 600 people to supervising none. So he resigned. We were totally focused on all these people
0: dying and all these drugs being diverted. And, and we were not really looking at our flanks waiting for somebody to come after us. So maybe that was my fault, and I just never realized that that was something that would have occurred.
3: In the end, the DEA signed off on the final version of the Marino bill. A senior DEA representative told us the agency fought hard to stop it, but in the face of growing pressure from Congress and industry lobbyists, was forced to accept a deal it did not want. The bill was presented to the Senate in March of 2016.
5: I ask unanimous consent the Senate proceed to the...
3: Majority Leader Mitch McConnell brought the bill to the Senate floor where it passed through unanimous consent with no objections and no recorded
5: votes. Without objection.
3: It passed the House the same way, with members of Congress chatting away on the floor.
5: Without objection, the bill was read a
3: third time and passed. A week later, with no objections from Congress or the DEA, President Barack Obama signed it into law, without ceremony or the usual bill-signing photo op. Marino issued a press release the next day claiming credit for the legislation. The drug distributors declared victory and told us the new law would in no way limit DEA's enforcement abilities. But DEA Chief Administrative Law Judge John J. Mulrooney, who must adjudicate the law, wrote in a Marquette Law Review article that the new legislation, quote, would make it all but impossible to prosecute unscrupulous distributors. I just don't understand why Congress would pass a
0: bill that strips us of our authority in the height of an opioid epidemic in places like Congressman Reno's district and Congressman Blackburn's district. Why are these people sponsoring bills when people in their backyards are dying from drugs that are coming from the same people that these bills are protecting? Why do you think that is? Because I think that the drug industry, the manufacturers, wholesalers, distributors, and chain drug stores have an influence over Congress that has never been seen before and these people came in with their influence and their money and got a whole statute changed because they didn't like it
3: seven months after the bill became law congressman marino's point man on the legislation his chief of staff bill tai became a lobbyist for the national association of chain drug stores since the crackdown on the distributors began the pharmaceutical industry and law firms that represent them have hired at least 46 investigators, attorneys, and supervisors from the DEA, including 32 directly from the division that regulates the drug industry. Mike Gill, chief of staff for the DEA administrator, was hired by HDJN, one of the country's largest healthcare law firms. And most recently, Jason Hadges, a senior DEA attorney overseeing enforcement cases during the slowdown joined the pharmaceutical and regulatory division of D.C.-based law firm Hogan Lovells. He declined to speak with us. Amerisource Bergen and McKesson declined our request to appear on camera. So did Cardinal Health, which hired the author of the bill, Lyndon Barber, as senior vice president. With Scott Hyam and Lenny Bernstein of the Washington Post, we called the head of public relations of Cardinal and asked to speak with Barber. This is Bill Whitaker. I'm a correspondent with 60 Minutes. I was calling to see if um, we could speak with the Lyndon Barber. We were told the company would not make him available. We also tried for several months to speak to Congressman Marino. Finally, we went to his D.C. office. Hello, I'm Bill Whitaker with uh, 60 Minutes Yes. and we'd like to speak with Congressman Marino if we could.
2: Uh, I'm going to have to refer you to, to our Chief of Staff.
3: We were told he was not available.
2: Okay, can you please turn the camera
6: off and we we'll have to ask the camera to leave the office.
3: His staff then called the Capitol Hill police on us.
0: Just accept the uninvite and leave the area.
3: When Joe Renacisi looks back, he has one regret.
0: You know, all these people that died happened under my watch. The one thing I wanted to do, the one thing I just thought would have the most impact is to lock up, arrest one of these corporate officers, you arrest a corporate officer, you arrest somebody that's, that's involved in the decision process, knowing what the law is, if you make that arrest, then everybody sits up and takes notice because three-piece suit guys just don't do well in prison. They don't.
3: After our story aired, the Justice Department urged Congress to rewrite the law that stripped the DEA of its enforcement powers. Despite some proposals to repeal or replace it, Congress has taken no action. Joe Ranacisi now consults with state attorneys general who have filed suit against distributors for their role in the opioid crisis. Tennessee Congresswoman Marsha Blackburn is now running for the Senate. As for Congressman Marino, He was nominated to be President Donald Trump's drug czar. But two days after we broadcast our story, he withdrew his nomination. He's now running for re-election to Congress. I'm Bill Whitaker. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes.
1: If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Are you a fan of 60 Minutes? You can represent the most watched series on television with shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and more at ParamountShop.com. You can take 20% off with code MINUTES20. That's 20% off at checkout on all 60 Minutes products with code MINUTES20 at ParamountShop.com.
4: A
5: story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.